Hello, Metro Augusta, and hello, Georgia. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the January 4th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Today's show is brought to you as a service of my consulting firm, and that is Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, where we proudly provide services to local government and nonprofit organizations. Of course, you can listen to us on the radio on Wednesday afternoons at 1.30 or on Thursday evenings at 7 p.m., but you can listen to us anytime via our podcast version. The audio is the same, but with the podcast, you get a chance to listen at your convenience. If you want to listen to the podcast, please go to and follow the Local Matters of Georgia Facebook page if you're on that platform. And if you're not, you can go to my website, which is JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com, or you can go directly to SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Last week, I discussed ways that we hold elected officials accountable. We talked about how we consider ourselves doing our job as citizens when we go vote, but the truth of the matter is that's just the beginning. So I gave some tips on what we do to make sure that those folks that we elected are indeed following through on the campaign promises that they made to us during the time that they were seeking office. Today, we launch into the first of a two-part conversation with a resident of our community uh, who's been in our area for a long, long time and uh, who is also a member of our Local Matters family. He is going to tackle the topic of public education as our very first guest in 2023. And he is the first of several speakers that I hope to bring in to address the issue of public education. Last year, of course, we elected, uh, re-elected three members of the school board, if I'm correct. And um, we had one that was running unopposed. We'll have an election to fill the District 6 school board seat in March. So this is, I think, the ideal time for us to focus on public education and what we can do to ensure um, that we have a system that is responsive to the educational needs of our young people, our families, and our community. Uh, we started off with the idea that this would just be one episode, but Dr. Williams had so much to share with us. He's Dr. Philip A. Williams, and he'll tell you all about himself when he comes on. Uh, he had so much to share that we're actually going to break this up into two episodes. But before we get to Dr. Williams, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Um, some of the best 
topics that we cover here are those that have been suggested by members of our Local Matters family. And because we don't have, uh, we only have one election locally this year that I'm aware of right now, this is going to be the year where I invite in a lot of people who are not elected officials. They're just average, everyday citizens in our community who are engaged and are interested in making a difference. So if you fit that description or if you know somebody else who does fit that description, please don't hesitate to reach out to me uh, if you think that that person has something to contribute to our Local Matters family. You can reach out to me via Facebook Messenger. Uh, Please follow the Local Matters podcast of Georgia. Reach out to me. Uh, also on my personal page, Janice Allen Jackson, of course, um, you can reach out uh, via messenger to let me know of your interest in appearing or anyone else you know that might be interested in appearing on Local Matters. Thanks so much for joining us again here in 2023. And please listen to this crucial conversation. My name is Phil Williams. Uh, Just a brief background. I I grew up uh, in Athens, Georgia, pretty much. My uh, father was uh, one of the deans at the University of Georgia. And uh, when I finished my undergraduate work, I went to the Medical College of South Carolina. My master's work was in uh, clinical microbiology and immunology. I came back after that to the Medical College of Georgia and uh, did my doctoral work in microbiology and immunology. Uh, I worked for just a couple of years uh, elsewhere and uh, got a call one morning to come back to Augusta and join a clinical pathology practice here. And I did that and uh, worked there for almost 40 years. And uh, if people are not familiar with what the clinical laboratory does. We're the ones who who do the blood tests and the autopsies, and we try to figure out what's wrong with you if your primary physician can't quite get it figured out. So that's what we did, and uh, along the line, we've had a a great deal of life experience in education, uh, primarily because that's the way I was brought up, and uh, so that's just, just a Uh, a brief bit uh, of the background. I've been involved in uh, some community service stuff. I was a trustee for the library for several years and uh, I've been on a a couple of national boards and quite a few local boards like the the Boy Scouts and and such as that. So uh, I've been working actually for about the last 10 years uh, in the Harrisburg area. uh, working with other folks to try and bootstrap the area, and work with the Salvation Army uh, on the homelessness issue and uh, the building of a new shelter to help those folks out. So I have a real interest uh, in the future of Augusta. Uh, I've raised a, a couple of young'uns uh, to adulthood and now have uh, four grandchildren. And of course, I'm interested in their education too. Um, and I 
I think I'd like to do uh, like a mentor of mine once did. He said, I'm going to tell you my story because it's really the only one I know. And it will inform you as to why I have come to some of the conclusions that I have. And so I'm going to try and do that very quickly and then launch into some of the uh, ideas that Ms. Jackson would like to explore. Uh, first of all, I, I am pushing close to 80 years old. I know uh, I look young and handsome and not beyond 39, but I've got you fooled. So I, I, I came up a long time ago. Uh, and in fact, I came up in the pre-kindergarten area. Uh, at the time that I came along, my father was, was uh, floating around on an aircraft carrier in the Pacific and he got some leave and, and that's when I came along. And, uh, but when I got to kindergarten age, since he was in education, he saw to it that I went to a kindergarten. It was a private kindergarten. And I still remember the activities that we had. And I'm proud to tell you, I was the assistant fire chief. Uh, we had a little piece of hose and a little red wagon. And when uh, Ms. Weber, I still remember her name, would ring her little bell on the desk, we would run out, pull the wagon out, and pretend to put out the fire that was painted on some paper. Um, and obviously, that was private school uh, because there were no kindergartens at that time. Um, after kindergarten, I attended... Uh, for about three months, a uh, first grade in Lexington, Kentucky. And then my dad uh, got an invitation to come back to the University of Georgia. And so we moved to Athens. Well, we went uh, to the uh, west side of Athens, which at the time was definitely blue collar because my dad was just out of school and uh, my brother and I didn't realize it, but we were poor. <laughs> Back then, teachers didn't make anything. And, uh, but, but we had a grand time. And I went to this uh, school for about three months. And then um, my dad uh, got uh, a promotion and was the assistant to the president, uh, Adderholt, as a matter of fact. And... Uh, we moved to the Five Points area. And I didn't realize that there was really any difference there, except that I didn't see any of my old friends that I'd made in first grade. This is the third, third first grade I'd gone to. And I later discovered that the Five Points area was where uh, most of the middle class was. And it was, professors and doctors and lawyers and that sort of stuff. Um, and again, it, it didn't dawn on me at that age that that was any different than any other place. It was just, that was my limited experience. Um, when I got out of elementary school there, and actually that was the seventh grade, the, the high school, the Athens High School was 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. When <clears throat> I went to the eighth grade at the high school, I saw all my old friends from the first grade school I'd gone to. 
plus a lot of other people, a lot of other people that I'd never seen before and who were very obviously wearing clothes that uh, weren't new, were wearing shoes that didn't look like mine. Uh, and they behaved in ways that I couldn't fathom. Uh, because there was one high school for the whole county. And all of a sudden now, I am uh, beginning to see that there's more than one culture around. And I can remember going to my mother about three or four weeks in and complaining to my mother. I said, my vocabulary is going downhill. I said, I, I can see it myself. I've been here for a month or a month and a half and I'm starting to talk like these people. Well, I, I understand why now. Uh, you become what you're around. Uh, that, and that was happening to me, but I didn't understand why at the time. Um, well, what are the reasons for that? And I use that specific example to illustrate a lot that you could use for examples there. But what, what are the reasons for that? Income disparity uh, is the one that most of us are aware of. Um, where I lived, uh, the parents, and it was typically a, a single parent earning a living, and the mothers were what were referred to as housewives at the time. I think that may be a verboten word nowadays, but that, that's the way it was when I grew up. Um, the other explanation was and, and is uh, probably the reason for the first is that there were differences in the education level of the parents. All you had to do was take a look at the income level and then take a look at the education level of the parents. And it was obvious that um, that was an outstanding difference. Um, now here's something that people need to latch on to. That was, that was one school, Athens High School, and it was segregated at the time. There was no, nobody in that school but white people. The uh, black people went to Athens High and Industrial School. But the point I want to make is that the fiscal support for everybody at Athens High School was the same. Didn't matter how rich or poor you were. You, got, you had the same teachers. You were in a mixed class. You had the same books. Uh, and you ate the same lunch as everybody else. And the teacher quality was absolutely identical uh, because we all had the same teachers. Um, and that's something that people need to wrap their heads around. Too many people, I think, um, feel like that it's, it's a racial issue. And I absolutely reject that. I absolutely reject that uh, as a cause for uh, the issues that the schools have. Uh, just based on my own experience and the fact that there were lots of white kids in our school who didn't do well at all. And it was not difficult to spot who they were. These were the poor kids. These were the kids who had divorced parents. 
these were the kids whose parents did not have an education and who did not value education. Um, a lot of people today, and you hear this constantly, these kids are failing because their parents are not involved. Well, like the kids say, duh, <laughs> you know, it's just so obvious that children who do not have engaged parents are not going to do nearly as well as ones who do. And let me suggest this. If there's absolutely no reason to believe that just because people are poor, that they don't care about education. There are always notable exceptions here. Um, but the vast majority of people are poor because they do not value an education. Poverty does not create a dislike for education. It's the failure of education that creates the poverty. It's the other way around. So you, you, you can't, can't blame it on that. Um, educational success is dependent on the dedicated involvement of a knowledgeable parent and even a single knowledgeable parent um, will get the job done. The issue that I see in so many of the schools that have failing uh, metrics is that children do not have parents, plural. Many, many of these children have uh, a single mother who may be working more than a job. She may not have a job. She may be working three jobs or they're being raised by a grandmother or they're being raised by an aunt. And these people typically do not have an education either. And so what we've got here is a vicious cycle. We have somebody who may very well want to help want to help that child succeed, but they can't do it because they don't have the education. They don't know how to help. They don't have the time to do it. They are working themselves to death just to be able to feed that child in so many cases. So while failure to have involved parents is indeed uh, a substantial reason for the failures that we've got, I don't think it's appropriate for us to try and lay blame. That, that, that does nobody any good. We know what the problem is, but laying blame is just, I don't know, it's an emotional kind of a thing. If we know what the problems are, let's ask ourselves, what can we do to resolve this issue? And, and I have a few thoughts, and I've run this by some other folks, um, and I will be brave enough to throw this out there. And anybody who wants to throw tomatoes, they're more than welcome. But I, I have thrown this through, and I have discussed this with some other educators. And they agree that the solutions would probably work. The only disagreement comes with who's going to pay for it and how you're going to do it. <laughs> and then, of course, it becomes a political issue. Well, let me continue with the discussion about the... the uh, effect of poverty on education. Just as a statistical fact, over 23% of the people in Richmond County live below the poverty line, 23%. That's like one out of four people live below the poverty line in Richmond County. And I'll say it again, 
poverty is a reflection of educational failure. Poverty begets poverty, and it has become generational. And if I had to pick a date, I'm going to pick about 1960 to 1970 is a time when this started to become uh, a real issue. Um, and I'll make some people angry with this too, but I honestly believe it. Poverty supports culture that accepts and even endorses violence and crime as a way of life. That's not to say that everybody's poor uh, engages in that culture, but too many do. I think all you have to do is go down and, and speak to uh, Sheriff Roundtree, and he'll be more than happy to uh, tell you about his experiences every single day of the week. So how do we how do we remedy these problems? How do we do it? You can't do it immediately. It's got to be done in time. This next idea that I'm going to throw out there is one that was given to me by at least two other professional educators. And for some people, this is going to be shocking. They're going to they say cut the cord, stop taking and dealing with Title I which is the huge, huge federal subsidy to education that comes with so many strings attached to it that the school systems, starting at the state level on down, basically have their hands tied because of all of the stipulations that go with the federal handout with Title I. Between... 2000 and 2019, the number of students in Georgia grew by approximately 8%. The number of teachers grew by approximately 9%. And the number of district administrators grew by 88%. 88%. 10 times more administrative growth than student growth. What's wrong with this picture? I, we have a situation where in these, and I, I'll admit I have not completely investigated the ins and outs of all Title I. I know it's probably beyond virtually anybody. It's so massive. But at least according to these two professional educators, this is the problem. They are so hamstrung by administrative mandates from the federal government down through the state government that they can't teach. How many kids got an excellent education in a one-room schoolhouse? How many kids get an excellent education by knowledgeable homeschooling parents? A lot. You don't have to have a million-dollar classroom. You don't have to have... You've got to have a motivated teacher, and God knows all of them are pretty much motivated. They wouldn't be in that job. Lord knows it would get me crazy. I've, I've taught at the high school level and a little bit at the graduate level, and I just do not have what it takes to, to deal with little kids. It takes special people, and so God bless them. So I don't think there's any question that, that teachers are motivated and, and, and great folks but they can't do everything. They are having to provide 
services, they are attempting to acculturate these children. In the past, the parents did that. The parents taught them right from wrong. The parents taught them uh, the need for education uh, and the love of knowledge and how important that is. The kids that are failing in our schools and which reflects on our schools and makes our schools fail. The schools aren't failing per se. The kids are failing the school. If a child doesn't want to be educated, you're not going to educate him. Um, it, just, it just doesn't work. In my day, if you didn't want to be educated, you got introduced to Mr. Paddle and that would temporarily fix the issue. But it was something that was done by my parents. After I got whacked with a paddle, I got sent home and then I really got a talking to. But the schools are going to have to take a different tact because they continue to depend uh, on parents to provide this acculturation. And it's obviously not working. So how do you do that? Well, I'm going to suggest that if, if the school boards had the freedom to do it, and I was the king, I would say school is going to start at 8 a.m. and we'll be here till five o'clock. And uh, we are going to start including uh, all these sections of education that they're not getting at home. Uh, somebody's going to have to create that curriculum. Somebody's, and, and that's going to be a political issue too, of course. So it's not going to be easy. But we're, the school is basically going to have to start taking the place of the absentee parent if you want to get rid of this issue. Um, and you're going to have to start early. You, we've got pre-K now. I'm going to suggest to you that starting at three years old is probably not too soon for some sort of a play school. And I know of at least one private school in Augusta that is moving in that direction. And uh, the principal tells me that at some point uh, they may start taking them younger than that. Again, if you missed his name, that is Dr. Philip Williams. Uh, he's been a resident of the Augusta community for many, many decades. As you can tell from his conversation, he has given the topic of public education a lifetime worth of thought, and um, he has lots more to share with us. So please plan to join Local Matters next week where we'll finish our conversation. He'll be able to close out his thoughts on some of the action steps that we as a community and not just here in Augusta, Richmond County, but throughout the state of Georgia, throughout the country, in fact, uh, the steps that he believes needs to be taken in order for us to truly make a difference in our system of public education. And also, as we close out, a couple of things I want to make note of uh, here on Local Matters, uh, we are in 
interested in uh, cultivating a good cadre of advertisers and sponsors. Uh, if there are businesses or organizations in the community who believe in what we do here on Local Matters, we'd love to hear from you uh, in terms of how we might work out a customized advertising package for your business so that you can support our work and people will know um, that you stand for the type of quality that we try to provide. Finally, in 2023, I know uh, folks are now getting back to uh, public uh, activities, if there are programs, workshops, and other opportunities for me personally to appear. I love to share my interests, expertise, and knowledge with others uh, in order uh, to improve and benefit the community. So uh, please uh, reach out to me, Facebook Messenger through the Local Matters podcast page or Messenger through Facebook or my website, janiceallenjackson.weebly.com. There's a contact us page. If I may participate, benefit you by participating as a workshop facilitator, moderator, or as a keynote speaker, uh, that is something that I would be very interested in doing for you. Again, thanks so much for being a part of the Local Matters family. Be blessed. Stay in prayer. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.